Dynasty won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of The Gen X Files. Welcome to The Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about tape heads. Better tape heads than I am without you. Okay. You still have God, man. As much as I love E.G. Daly, and I love her to death. I believe at some point I must have done something for her to put a curse on me. <laughs> because since we did that show, I have had that song <laughs> so embedded in my skull. Like, I wake up singing it. I go yeah. to bed singing it. Wow. I just... That really sucks for you. <laughs> it is. It's in there, man. I can't dig it out. I've been trying to dig it out. I heard that if you get an earworm like that, the best song to sing is Karma Chameleon, because apparently oh, that doesn't stick in your head, but it erases but it your ear. Overwrites word. everything. But you know what song is immune to that? <laughs> Better off dead. But this isn't about that. No, this, this is, is about, about tape, tape heads. Tape heads. Part two of our Crazy Cusack month. Oh, yeah. This Doing is a deuce. Crazy. <laughs> it's a weird. I will say I had never seen this until we watched it, and uh, it's gonna... a weird movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... <laughs> to... I'm going to take a risk and say most people haven't seen this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw this movie, I believe, in college. Yeah. Um, and I loved it. Saw it in Boston. And my friend Matt and I, in film school, we had a marketing class. Mm-hmm. And we used tape heads as our subject for marketing. Nice. And we did a whole new marketing ironic. aspect. Actually, our marketing yeah. uh, plan for it was pretty damn good. Oh, I'm sure. Because we loved the movie and we understood the movie. So we right. knew how to, you know... Yeah. It was. I don't know if it was good. It was like a million years ago. It was probably crap. But uh, <laughs> I revolutionized the business. Oh, my God. I was 18 in college, and but I made the most amazing movie ever. The point of that is that it's how much I love that movie. Right. It's because I thought that it deserved a lot more than it got. There was a really interesting article on Den of Geek that I read about it and how it kind of came at the end of, like, the the cult like kind of movie yeah. like once Repo Man happened and they realized oh hey we can make these weird movies and they'll actually make money this was kind of a byproduct of that yeah. to a certain extent but at this point in 88 it was already kind of dying out well it's also to me it's more of a evolution or an adult version of the Savage Steve Holland movies because there's a lot yeah. of those yeah. elements in it oh yeah especially yeah. with the Roscoe's Chicken Waffles oh, with my the God. animated yeah. You know, chicken walking around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely felt very Savage Steve All the gags, that. a lot of the, you know, you got Bobcat Goldthwait in there. You got... Yeah. <laughs> it's you know. not even technically in on no. screen. He's on screen oh. on screen. But, yeah, I mean, it's like it, it has a lot of those elements. It's kind of like an edgier. It's like if Cusack decided, hey, I want to make a Repo Man film. I want to make an edgy, you know... <laughs> Funny. <laughs> right. I know we're going to get to it. But, but he makes that choice, but he... he takes the things that he learned from Savage Steve yeah, and applies that to the movie that it's kind of a bridge because the character he plays is not a likable character. <laughs> no, it is know? not. Luckily, he still has enough no, charm yeah. to make him And he's funny. Like, yeah, yeah, he's, he's funny and he's, and he's charming hateable. and he's not. No, no. But with that just pedophile slimy. mustache no. and the slick back hair and he doesn't have a lot of morals, no. but he is loyal yeah. to his pal and he's loyal hey, yeah. to the... Uh, Video aces. No, no. To uh, <laughs> what's the name of that band? Um, the the swanky modes. <laughs> and he's loyal to the swanky modes. Yeah, yeah. The swanky modes, uh, which unfortunately is not a real band. But, no, but uh, as two of the greats, two fantastic. The anyway, modes. we'll get into that. We're we'll all into so that. excited. I know. Take yourself back to 1988. Yeah, April 23rd. Whitney Houston's "Where Do Broken Hearts Go" tops the Billboard Hot 100 and became Houston's seventh consecutive number one single, surpassing the record of six by the Beatles and the Bee Gees. The answer is hell. By the way. Hell. That's where broken hearts, uh, broken hearts go to hell. They go straight to hell. That was her sequel to hell. Yeah, straight to hell. <laughs> straight to hell. With yeah. your broken heart. It was not the eighth consecutive number one single. <laughs> no, no, that one no. It was a little dark. July second, Michael Jackson with his fifth single from Bad, Dirt, Dirty Diana. 
I don't remember how oh, Dirty man. Diana goes. How does Dirty it go? Diana. Oh. Yeah. Nice. That Do that again. That was no, really I good. No, I can't do no, that again. No, you're great. <laughs> that was, you're a, a resident thing. Michael Jacksonist. Uh, Dirty Diana sets the record for most consecutive charting singles on the Billboard Hot 100 from the same album with five. He is the first artist and the only male artist in history to achieve this. Yeah, because he was amazing. He was huge. Yeah. That, that uh, bad... And uh, Thriller sold like a billion albums. I like had them. It was them. a billion. Oh, I did too. Yeah. yeah. Fact, I even had Off the Wall, baby. Thriller was the first vinyl I ever owned. Yeah. I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> Probably like shouldn't have. Monsters. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I loved that. Yeah. It was so good. Are you, you kidding? Probably, you got yeah. it because of the monsters. Monsters. Uh, September 24th, James Brown faces a variety of charges after leading police on an interstate chase after reportedly breaking into a seminar in an Augusta, Georgia building he owned an office in, waving a gun around and demanding to know who had used his restrooms. Look, I know. I know. It's, yeah, it's issues, drugs and alcohol. But just the thought of him, who's using my restrooms? Busting in, you know, these guys like putting the take, taking the cape off of him. No, 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 no. Who's using my goddamn restrooms? I, Who blasted the bowl? Who blasted uh, the bowl? Mr. Brown, we we paid to use the space. Oh, these are my restrooms. Uh, earlier in the year, Brown had been arrested on drug and firearms related charges. Uh, yeah, he's a he was a character. He had a row. <laughs> He had a bit of a time. <laughs> he had some issues. But, yeah. man, he was the hardest working man in show business. There is oh, no yeah. lie. And he came out of that and had a career. And, yeah. you know, yeah. he, he moved past his drug and alcohol issues. He, he and then came a, back and yeah. rocked it with Rocky and with this. Oh, yeah. And, you yeah. know, it was just like. He was. He definitely had issues, but he took care of it. And he, he still had a very long career. Living in America. <laughs> oh, Hoop-a-doop. yeah. October 28th, Tapeheads is released in theaters. Yes, the day of infamy. The day of infamy. Right, in time for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, no, not a better <laughs> Halloween movie than Tapeheads. <laughs> Although there is a Halloween scene in Tapeheads. There is. Yes, that is. Yes, that's true. Uh, Tapeheads would not have been possible without three key people. Bill Fishman, the writer and director. John Cusack, who was able to throw his star weight around just a little bit by this point, And Michael Nesmith of The Monkees. Hey, hey, we're the monkeys. Uh, People say we're monkeys. He right has now. had, well, I'll get into it, but he has just had the weirdest, most amazing career. Oh, yeah. And not to mention that, but didn't his mom, like, invent Whiteout or something? Oh, that, actually, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So oh, he, one of them. I don't know if it was Michael Nesmith. I, I'm, pretty, I'm sure pretty sure it was okay, Nesmith. Okay. Yeah, I think it was Whiteout that she invented. And, you know. <laughs> Why not? Off to the races, baby. <laughs> Uh, Bill Fishman started his career as a music video director. By 1988, he directed music videos for... Suicidal Tendencies, George Clinton, The Ramones, Grandmaster Flash, Dawkins, and The Monkey. He was responsible for the Dream Warriors video from Dawkins for Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors! Which, for some reason, that video sticks in my head. Yeah. I don't know why. Well, I don't really popular. like the song. <laughs> I don't. I just remember the video. It was just like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Docking, baby. Uh, and actually, the monkeys video he did uh, in 1987 was actually really brilliant, featuring them trying to fit into modern society after being thawed out from ice blocks in from 1967. I do remember that one. That was very funny. That was when the monkeys had their little comeback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was the, a lot of nostalgia in the 80s for the 60s. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's funny how that goes. It's usually tw- uh, so now this yeah. yeah. So now we're gonna have nostalgia for the t- 2000s. <laughs> Great. Oh, what's it gonna be? Ooh. Let's wear bad pants again. Yeah, <laughs> that was, it was bad pants. There were bad pants. I don't in the remember world. a lot from the 2000s. It there was, was a lot not of, good. A lot of teen dramas, I think. Right? Yeah. That was like when that was around the time Tree like, Hill and uh, Party Five. One Tree Hill was a little bit later than that. Party around Party Five, uh, Dawson's Creek, Dawson's stuff Creek like that. And, yeah. Buffy the Vampire Teen Slayer. angst. A yeah. lot of teen angst. Still still goes on today, teen angst. Uh, it doesn't? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a teenager anymore. I don't know. Fishman wrote the script for Tapeheads with Peter McCarthy and Jim Hertzfeld. Oh, yeah. Uh, if you remember Jim Hertzfeld. Uh, McCarthy was a producer on Repo Man in 1984, the Alex Cox cult mega hit. Great, great flick. Uh, which is also has its fingers in Tapeheads quite a bit <laughs> from various <laughs> people. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just all over this movie. Repo Man was a fairly iconic film. I, yeah. I hate that word, but it is true because it really started the quirky, it, it was a, weird, yeah, independent. It was a bellwether of a change in, yeah. There wouldn't be Clerks. There wouldn't be Tarantino. Right. There wouldn't be all these guys if it wasn't for uh, Alex uh, Cox. Alex Cox and, and, and Repo Man. And 
technically Michael Nesmith. Yeah, of course. I mean, yes. Michael, <laughs> but I'm just saying. Yeah. It's because, yeah. But yeah. I'm just, yeah. It's, it, it, people forget but Alec, what a seminal yeah. film that was. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Uh, for sure. Uh, and I have a confession. I've literally never seen it. Really? Never seen Repo Man. Well, 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 I guarantee you we're going to have to do a show. Oh, no. It. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we will, definitely. Because it's, you're uh, right. It is a iconic movie in relation to history of film and what it meant for the, the late 80s and early 90s. And a great performance by Emilio Estevez. Yeah, yeah. Harry Dean Stanton. It's fantastic. Harry Dean Stanton is just ridiculous. <laughs> I love him so. McCarthy was also a producer on Space Rage in 1985, an R-rated sci-fi western starring Richard Farnsworth, Michael Pere, and John Laughlin. I wonder if I saw that. I've definitely never seen it. It looks like it's really bad. Nice. <laughs> but it looks really... It's Richard Farnsworth. Like, he's so interesting. Space uh, Rage. Space Rage. It's called Space Rage. Like, it's I, just weird. <laughs> uh, McCarthy was also producer on Sid and Nancy in 1986. Another really great and important independent film. Yes. And I uh, launched the career of Gary Oldman. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, that was definitely the thing that made people notice him. Oh, yeah. For sure. For good, sure. good movie. Yeah. Great movie. Great movie. Uh, Jim Hertzfeld graduated from UCLA in 1984 and got his career started on It's Gary Shandling Show in 1986. It's Gary Shandling Show. Which is a fantastic show. Yeah. So great. Just completely deconstructed the sitcom and i yeah i started watching that way too young yeah <laughs> like i was way too young not to be confused with the larry sanders show right there is nobody like gary shandling and it's such a tragedy his death yeah. yeah and and according to everyone everyone he was the sweetest most yeah. humble most giving guy that would help you with the drop of a hat just sweetheart do yeah. anything you know yeah. just one of those guys that has a big heart and Loves people and loves life, and those yeah. are the people that usually get taken too soon. It's true. Uh, Jim Hertzfeld did 10 years of writing for sitcoms, including Doctor, Doctor with Matt Frewer and Julius Carey. Doctor, Doctor, give me the news. I, I got a, a bad sitcom yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yes, you do. We forget Matt Frewer yeah. was uh, – he was uh, – what was that guy? The electronic guy. Uh he was huge. He was started off as like a Pepsi spokesman. And they made his own. Max Headroom. He was Max oh. Headroom. Matt Frewer. Oh, that's Matt Frewer. Okay. Yeah. 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 He's actually really great. Yeah. He's, he's, he's awesome. been done a stuff, ton of stuff. Yeah. I love him. He did a lot of Stephen King miniseries and stuff. Yeah. And he was in Eureka, which he was yeah. great playing an Australian. Um, he's yeah. a great actor. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good. So I don't. Know. I didn't realize that was him. Yeah. I, I. He's one of those character actors. You're like, oh, that guy. Got to point it out, baby. Yeah. I'm a Frewer head. You're a Frewer head. <laughs> So maybe Dr. Doctor wasn't that bad. Um, I, d I just don't think it, it lasted very long. Uh, Double Rush with Robert Pastorelli and David Arquette. Yeah, I, what? No idea. No idea. Uh, and Married with Children, where he would eventually get a producer credit. He got uh, on Jim, one. Jim Hertzfeld. He got on one. He got on one. That did well. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Which, actually, to be honest, I think by that point, it was near the last, like, five seasons. Hey, and so hey, pig. it hey. wasn't as good. Hey, Pig, hey, we'll make a joke about not having sex, Pig. <laughs> I'm going to be... I'm going to eat bonbons. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Uh, so Jim Hertzfeld also wrote the screenplay for the 1998 Paul Walker dud, Meet the Deedles. Meet the Deedles. That wasn't a bad movie. It wasn't that about, like, a couple of skaters or Surfers. something. Surfers. Yeah. It, it was... I, granted, I haven't seen it in a long time, and I hated it when I first saw it, so uh, I'll give it a chance. It. Jim Hertzfeld's biggest success came from writing the 2000 film Meet the Parents and its 2004 sequel Meet the Fockers. Meet the Fockers. Hey, I'm going to meet the parents. Yeah. Which I loved Meet the Parents. No, everybody did. It was done it's... so well. It was very fun. Michael Nesmith of the Monkees fame had been brought on to help produce Repo Man. Uh, and this is something we'll get into more detail when we actually do Repo Man, but they needed, uh, really essentially Repo Man needed money. He had founded uh, the company Pacific Arts Corporation in 1974 to develop media projects. Uh, PAC, as it's called, was one of the first companies to start going solely to home video, tapping into the new market. Yeah, it was smart because you, you forewent the expense of a theatrical release. Yeah. And so you don't have to make prints. That's the big thing is that people don't remember that back in the day, making just copies of your movie <laughs> to get out to print costs so much money. Yeah. Just one print costs yeah. thousands of dollars. And if you had a wide release... You know, yeah. that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. 3,000 screens means you're spending like $3 million well, on, I mean, you on know, prints. Not that Rebo Man would have had a 3,000 screen. No, but it had, no. I mean, it, it, but played, it, was, it played. It was a huge yeah. part of it, yeah. But it was really smart 
you know, especially at that time to, you know, because there was, it's just like now, people were looking for content on video. Yeah. Video stores were looking for stuff to put on the shelves. Yeah. And every video store had one of those, you know, B-movie <laughs> straight-to-video sections. Yeah, yeah. With a lot of, like, Brian Bonzel and, oh. and uh, Rutger Hauer and, and uh, uh, Brian Ben-Ben. <laughs> Wow, that sounds like a great cast. <laughs> it was. It sounds like it's like th- th- that's the movie. Oh, they're all still alive. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. Uh, Brian Ben Ben was good. He was in that show on HBO. I know, I know. Dream on, dream on, yeah, dream on. Yeah, yeah. So McCarthy gave Nesmith the script for Tapeheads, uh, and all he needed was a star. So at this point, Cusack was a bona fide star with the release of The Sure Thing, which earned four times its budget and box office receipts. Cusack wanted to do something edgy like Repo Man, so he read the script for Tapeheads and told Nesmith that he was in and that he was bringing along his buddy, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins. Yeah. Uh, John Cusack, playing the lead, he was critical in getting the film made when while he's a fan of weird offbeat movies, like the more current being John Malkovich, which is 20 years being old. more current <laughs> is 20 years old. Well, he hasn't really done anything weird lately. So. He has. Oh, he has. It, oh, what did that he do? Utopia show. Oh, okay, okay. It's pretty well, weird. I haven't seen that. It's good. Yeah. It's really good. He plays like a tech guy. He's kind of the bad guy, sort of. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But it's it's a remake of a British series. Right. Both series are great, but uh, it was really fun to see him, to see him in doing. something kind of mainstream. Okay. And being a weirdo, which he's very good at. Right, right, he is. Uh, and although he is a weirdo, he's gone on record as saying, I still haven't been part of a great piece of art. He's still searching for that thing, uh, whatever Easy. it is. You've made some really good movies. He has, he has. Uh, at this point, he still hadn't, anything, hadn't done anything too serious. Uh, Eight Men Out would come out just prior to Tapeheads, but most likely was shot the year before. Well, that was more of an ensemble piece. It wasn't a yeah, it wasn't vehicle. Right, right. It wasn't focused on him for sure. Um, but it was, it was. I think his way of kind of showing to people that it's like, yeah, I can do drama. It's, you he know. did that and, and doing Stand by Me, doing that cameo in Stand yeah. by Me, gave yeah. him a little bit more, a little more drama cred. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's possible that Tapeheads was a need uh, for Cusack to shake off that weird drama that he did with Eight Men Out, working with John Sales. Uh, he would be recognized for his dramatic talents when he started the 1990 film The Grifters. Love that movie. Was there problems on Eight Men Out with him and John Sayles? No, I just think that at this point he had only mostly done comedies, right? And I think it was one of those like, oh, okay, I did the thing because he was actively searching for tapeheads. Like, right. He didn't know it at the time, right? But he was actively searching for something. And yeah. I and I think a lot of it is that he knew with getting Bill Fishman and and dealing with Michael Nesmith that he would have a lot more control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. and look, this wasn't a hit. No, but it was not at all. It was a definite stepping stone in his career yeah. that was needed for him to move forward yes. and away from this. It was the bridge between the crazy comedies. Right. And the more serious or more interesting comedies like being John Malkovich. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the Grifters, Grifters yeah. which is an amazing film. Yeah, I don't know if he would have. I, I mean, it's possible if he had done, hadn't done tape heads, he'd be in The Grifters. But, I, but it was definitely showed a side of him that he hadn't shown on screen yet. Yeah. The gr- gross mustache slick back style. <laughs> Tim Robbins is Josh Tager. Uh, Robbins' acting career began at Theater for the New City, where he spent his teenage years in their annual Summer Street Theater. After graduation from college in 1981, Robbins founded the Actors Gang, an experimental theater group in Los Angeles with actor friends from his college softball team and John Cusack. Yeah, and they are still active today, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. they have put on some of the greatest uh, stage productions. uh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Ever. <laughs> ever. Yeah. In ever. But yeah. they get some great actors and they have a lot of fun and it's a bunch of people that have worked together for years. And it's really cool to see these big stars still part of a theater group, you know? Yeah. Still wanting to do the weird experimental yeah, stuff. Get up and on like, stage, yeah. take some risks and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, in 1982, Robbins appeared as domestic terrorist Andrew Reinhardt in three episodes of the television program Saint Elsewhere. Well, I'm a domestic terrorist, <laughs> but I got appendicitis. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he had appendicitis. He said something was wrong. I mean, he was Saint Elsewhere. Something was wrong. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> In 1995, he guest starred on the second episode of the television series Moonlighting, titled Gunfight at the So-So Corral. Oh, my God. Such a great episode. Yes. He's so good in it, too. 
Ah, oh, I can't wait till we do the movie. I know. I, know. Oh, I want to watch that whole series again right now. Okay. Okay. So many good guest stars. So many good episodes. In 1985, he appeared in the Sure Thing with John uh, with Cusack. Uh, in 1986, he appeared in Top Gun and Howard the Duck. Yeah, he was. He was. Well, magician or Merlin in Top Gun. A Merlin in Top Gun. Well, he was. He was the. He was the weenie at the end of the movie. He that was. was Maverick's new wingman or guy filled in for Goose. Oh, hey, what are we doing, Maverick? I don't think we should be shooting at those guys. Oh, go, maybe we should <laughs> Shut up, Merlin. I'm going to do it at all. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. He appeared on the Love Boat as a young version of one of the characters in flashbacks about the Second World War. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, his breakthrough role was as pitcher Ebby Calvin and Nuke Lelouch in the 1988 baseball film Bull Durham, which came out earlier that summer before Tapeheads was released. So great. Such a great movie. I find it really interesting that both Tim Robbins and John Cusack appeared in baseball movies just months before yeah. Tapeheads. Baseball was big, baby. Uh, Bull Durham. Such a great movie. Well, yeah, it is such a tour de force performance for he yeah. and for Kevin Costner and for Susan Sarandon. Oh, Susan Sarandon is so good in that movie. She is the epitome of sexy in that movie. Oh, so good. She's so sexy. And that's where they ended up getting married, meeting and getting Tim Robbins yeah. and Susan Sarandon were together for many, many they years. They were never married, but they were together for like 30 years. Whatever. They had kids together. Yeah, yeah. and they're one of those like, do- I was going to say Dolly Parton. They're one of those like, uh, <laughs> uh uh, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell. They never got married, but they yeah. Been I mean, it's their thing, you know. Whatever. I think it's great. I think marriage I, is dumb. I would. I've never been married. I'm never gonna get married, even if I find somebody that I want to spend the rest of my life with. Like, I will be with them, but I'm not gonna get married. I'm looking for the cat. Cat. I can't marry the cat. Don't marry the cat. That's weird. I can't marry the. cat. I don't think it's legal. No, I don't think. Maybe in California. Oh. <laughs> Robbins would be recognized for his dramatic talents for starring in the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder. I just find it interesting that it seems like Cusack and Robbins both had a very similar trajectory in their it, career. Well, they were friends. They also yeah. came from the same cloth where they yeah. wanted to do different stuff. Yeah. They wanted to work with great people. Tim Robbins, I think, more so. He was just, yeah. you know, I mean, he got to work with Altman a couple of times. You know, Jacob's yeah. Ladder, it's a flawed film, but a cult classic. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, everybody knows about Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But he also went in a direction. Like, he was a little, he was kind of the Cassavetes, where mm-hmm. he would do one for them. You know, he'd end up doing some, right. you know, big movie where he played, like, a, a bomber or something. What was that movie where he played? The- uh, Arlington Road, I think yeah, it was. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what it was. Yeah. But he'd do stuff like that. Interesting parts. Right, right. But he would also do indie stuff. And he's had a very interesting career. And I think he avoided whatever John Cusack didn't to get John Cusack doing those B-movies. Well, Cusack got kind of, in the 90s, he got pigeonholed into the weird, like, kind of romantic comedy dramas. Yeah. And, and it was like, and then it was like the weird, um, oh, it's a romantic comedy, but it has a strange caveat of, like, you're actually a ghost from space. And, like, and then he got stuck doing all these movies. And they're fine. Yeah. But they just weren't edgy and they weren't. I just don't know when the switch was with him. Like, you know, when did it kind of, when did he well, go into like the Nick Cage? I, you know, and, and look, Nick Cage is one of the greatest actors ever in America. And John Cusack is a great actor as well. Yeah. And I don't disparage them or their talent. I will question some of their choices. Yeah. yeah. You know, I know yeah, it's all I mean, for yeah. money. Maybe he ended up getting on the wrong side of the tax man or something. But it just seems like he, I, yeah. he you know, he shows up in a lot of stinks. Yeah, yeah. But, but Robbins doesn't. Like, no, he seems he's, like... But, but I think Robbins... See, I think the big thing is that... Because in 19, 1982, he did Bob Roberts, which he wrote and directed. Right. And, and Cusack never went that way. Like, he never was like, hey, I'm going to do my own thing. I'll keep doing your thing, like Cassavetes, yeah. uh, you know. But I think Cusack's just kind of like, well, whatever, just give me parts. And... It seems weird to me that Cusack never did the writer-director... I agreed because I feel very much, yeah. especially doing research for tape heads, yeah. I feel very much like this was really his movie. Yeah. And, and he could have done that. Yeah, I get maybe he just wasn't into it. Maybe he just liked the, you know, like the acting, like producing or. And maybe that's what, maybe, maybe because of tape heads, he was like, you know what? I thought I wanted to do this. No, I don't. Well, 
Well, it's also like, it didn't get the reception that he wanted. That's true. You know? It definitely did not. But it, it didn't stop him from making quirky films. He still no, made no, weird he's films. Still, when, yeah. It's just weird. It's just weird that there's this kind of moment that I don't know what it was that kind well, of I mean, knocked we'll go, him off the A-list. We still have two more weeks left, so we'll probably explore this, <laughs> this just, question. because I love no, him so I agree. much. And I don't think he should have been knocked off the A-list, especially seeing him in recent stuff. Maybe well, he's coming yeah. back. We'll talk about it more in uh, next week when we talk about Hot Pursuit. He's one of those guys that's always going to have a career. You know, he's not yeah. a Scott Bayo. He's not a, no. a Dean Cain, you know, angry old white guy. He's always going to have a career, yeah. and he's always going to be brought back because of the nostalgia. People love him. Yeah, I mean, he has a name, and, like, people know that name. And I, I'm just waiting for him. You know, maybe the utopia thing is a, is a good sign, but mm-hmm. it's like I want him to do more interesting stuff. Again, yeah, and know? I think it's TV. I think for these guys, it's TV where the really interesting stuff is. Agreed. Them. I you know it's yeah. Like even the the the, the uh, Stallone. Stallone. That new series he's got. Uh, can we go to the Midwest or whatever? I'm a mobster. He has to go to like really? Yeah, it's on. I've never I think heard it's of on this. Paramount Plus or something. But it's like God, he he gets out of jail all the time now, and he gets he has to go to like Tulsa, Oklahoma. Oh. I think it's called Tulsa. Fish out of water. I literally, okay, I understood fish out of water. That's so I understood. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, I think these guys, TV is a much better place for them because, well, not not so much sly, but uh, these guys <laughs> are really good character actors. Yeah. I think they can yeah. find something to hold on to. Well, I mean, it's, this is yeah. what Ben Stiller's doing. I mean, and granted, he's just going into directing mostly, right. writing, directing. But, like, you know, he realized, he's like, hey, this is the future. Like, this is where you can be an artist. Whereas, you know, now movies, unfortunately, are becoming just, you know, giant tent poles for giant action movies. Sure. And that's pretty much it. In Tapeheads, the song Repave America appears on the soundtrack, written by Tim Robbins and performed by Rob Bob Roberts. Who was Tim Robbins? This was four years before he did Bob Roberts' yeah. the 1992 movie, where he wrote and directed uh, and starred. Yeah, uh, he played a politician. Yeah, and folk singer. Yeah, uh, was it a folk singer and politician? <laughs> yeah, yeah, something to that effect. It's been a long time since it's like I've a seen mockumentary. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was, was interesting. Good. I mean, it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Mary Crosby as Samantha Gregory. Uh, Crosby's the only daughter of singer and actor Bing Crosby from his second marriage to actress Catherine Grant. Uh, Denise Crosby of Star Trek Next Generation fame is her niece. So weird. They're about the same age. I know. It's super weird. Uh, Crosby is best known for playing Kristen Shepard from 1979 to 1981 on the primetime soap opera Dallas. Dallas. When someone asks who shot JR, the answer is Mary Crosby. You know what's funny is that was the biggest thing in the world. In the world. Yeah. Who shot JR? And I bet you if you ask anybody who shot JR, nobody's going to be saying Mary Crosby. Nobody's going to remember. I, yeah. Do you remember who shot Mr. Burns? Maggie. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's memorable. (laughs) Clue Gulager is Senator Norman Smart. Or Mart, not Smart. Norman Mart. Norman Mart. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) You're still the... His wife's name, uh, well, we'll get to Jennifer yeah. Walter, but his wife's name is my favorite joke in the whole movie. Yeah, it's it's so bad. Uh, Gulager started his career in Westerns, playing Billy the Kid in the 1960 TV show The Tall Man. Uh, he made appearances in The Killers in 1964 with Lee Marvin and Ronald Reagan in his only movie role as a villain. Uh, he was in Winning in 1969, a racing movie opposite Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. Nice. Yeah. The Last Picture Show in 1971. Oh, amazing movie. Great, great movie. And he acted with John Wayne in McHugh in 1974. McHugh's cool. I don't think I've ever seen it. Yeah, it's. I think, if I'm thinking correctly, Q, he's got like a little machine gun. and Oh, it's really? A, it's a really cool... Like, in 74, he was... Much older at this point, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. He was close. He was going to be in his seventies at that point. Yeah, it was right before the cancer. Oh, okay. You know that he got yeah. from doing that Genghis Khan movie, which basically oh. killed half of Hollywood. Right. That's right. Shooting in the nuclear. <laughs> Jesus the, Christ! The, the sands of New Mexico. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my God, yeah. killed killed the Duke. Yeah, it did. It did. Uh, I will need to see McHugh. That sounds really fascinating. That's uh, fun. John Wayne with a minigun. You can't go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, buddy. <laughs> I'm uh, gonna take this gun out and I'm uh, I'm gonna shoot you with it. Clue Galuger. 
<laughs> Gulliger directed the short film A Day with the Boys, which was nominated for the Palme d'Or for Best Short Film at the 1969 Cannes Film Festival. In the 1980s, he had a resurgence with a series of horror movies. The initiation in 1984 with Daphne Zuniga and Vera Miles. Daphne Zuniga from Spaceballs. Yeah. Uh, and he also was in the zombie comedy The Return of the Living Dead in 1985. Oh, oh baby. That is such a good... It's one of my... It's probably my favorite zombie movie. I would, oh, yeah. I, well... Uh, I've that, not I've not seen it in a long, long time. It is so eighties, yeah. awesomely eighties. Like I remember there being a lot of goop. <laughs> there's a lot of goop. There's a lot of punk rockers. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And Clue Gulliger <laughs> and the kid that plays his sidekick. They're hilarious. The thing that I love about Clue, the thing besides his name, which I think Clue Gulliger is one uh, of the coolest names yeah. ever, is he was so game. He was the you know he's another one of those like. Leslie Nielsen or Robert Stack, these serious actors from the 60s and 50s who just didn't give an F about, you know, if you look at him in tape heads, what he's doing in that movie. Oh, oh mommy. He's he's so so good. Oh, my God. He's so good in this movie. So amazing. And just because he gets it and he doesn't give an F. He is so good. Yeah. He understood immediately what they were trying to do. And the beauty of these actors with the gravitas that they had playing these goofy parts makes it even better. Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. So good. Uh, his son won the right to direct a feature in the third season of Project Greenlight. Drew. Uh, Drew Gulliger. No, John. <laughs> it's John, not Drew. No, Drew his sons Clue. were Drew, Blue, and Flew. Okay. Uh, and his daughter, Sue. He appeared in the movie Feast, which uh, John Gulliger directed on par- Project Greenlight. Uh, Gulliger's last role was in Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood before passing from natural causes at the age of 92 on August 5th of 2022. Good run. That was just like a month ago, and I, I didn't I, – I knew it happened – but I'd forgotten, oh, and it I broke was my heart. sad all over again. It, it, I mean, good run. 92 I, I mean, is a no, good don't get run. me wrong, yes. But it's still, because it just brings back memories. You might not have thought of him in a while. Yeah. But it just yeah. brings back such good memories, especially from watching this movie, and oh, watching the, the zombie movie. movie. He just elevates everything he's in. Like, it's... Because he's he, just got this really great way. He's so yeah. seriously, yeah. It's like, it, it's, it's like his eyes. His yeah. Eye Uh, Doug McClure is Sid Tager, the father of the Tim Robbins character. He is best known for his role as the cowboy Trompus during the entire run from 1962 to 1971 of the series The Virginian. Yeah, all about a virgin. Okay. (laughs) From Virginia. Uh, The character of Troy McClure on The Simpsons was modeled after Doug McClure and fellow actor Troy Donahue. I'm Troy McClure. You might remember me from such classics as... Monkeys on Parade, or <laughs> Dunn and Dunner. Mike Reese, executive producer of The Simpsons, said that Doug McClure's daughter informed him that Doug was a big fan of The Simpsons. She said that while watching an episode, Doug saw the character Troy McClure on the, on the show and said, Are they making fun of me? <laughs> Doug said that he thought the parody was funny, and his daughters would call him Troy McClure behind his back as a joke. Hey, there's Troy McClure and a piece of ass. What'd you guys say? <laughs> Nothing, Dad. <laughs> Troy McClure, dummy. Uh... Unfortunately, McClure died from lung cancer at the age of 59 in 1995. Uh, way too young. Way, way too, too young. damn young. And uh, I knew Mike Reese Oh yeah, The Simpsons. That poor son of a bitch, man. When I first met him, I was just like, what about this episode? What about this? The guy was so exhausted by me. Connie Stevens is June Tager, the mother. Uh, Stevens was raised in Brooklyn until, until the age of 12 when she was sent to live with family, friends in rural Missouri after she witnessed someone being murdered. Good Lord. Yeah, at the age of 12. No wonder she always looks so surprised. <laughs> Stevens was on many movies and TV shows while maintaining a singing career. Kooky Kooky, Lend Me Your Comb went as high as number four on the Billboard Hot 100 in 1959. So many couples. That's their first dance to their wedding. Kooky kooky, lend me your cone. Yeah. Kooky kooky, lend me your cone. I don't. The, I know I've heard the song. I don't remember how it goes. I, but I know I've heard it. I have no idea. Uh, she fully devoted her career to acting in the 1980s, and now writes and directs as well. She's currently 82 and yeah. still going strong. Yeah, she's great. She's spunky yeah. and. Sp- She's so good in this movie. Her and Doug McClure in this movie together are so fantastic. The long-suffering parents of Tim (laughs) Robbins. They never get a break, especially McClure. God, he was such a dick to him at the beginning with the cake and, like, sticking his finger in the cake. He was like, jeez, man. Yeah, but he got his comeuppance. Oh, he did. Several times. He did. Oh, he did. 
Katie Boyer as Belinda Mart. She was the artist. She was the artiste. Uh, she made an appearance in the 1986 movie Just One of the Guys. Uh, she's done a ton of TV work over the years. Uh, Katie appeared in two Spielberg movies as mothers. She was in The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Minority Report. Uh, Jessica Walter playing Kmart. <laughs> yeah. Here we are. Uh, Belinda's mother and the suffering, although apparently very uh, not because she didn't realize anything was going on during the whole movie. She's very clueless. Clueless, thank you. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, Walter has appeared in over 170 film, stage, and television productions. Uh, in films, she was best known for her role as a psychotic and obsessed fan of a local disc jockey in the 1971 Clint Eastwood film, Play Misty for Me. Have you seen that? No. Such a great movie. I think he directed it when yeah. it was first. Yeah. Uh, she's a creep. Yeah, super creep. Super, super good. Uh, he missed good for creep. me. He's a DJ. The thing about that movie, there's like 20 minutes of that movie, is him and an actress walking around the <laughs> Monterey Jazz Festival. Oh, really? No dialogue. <laughs> Basically, the jazz is playing. And they walk around walk for around. Like 20 minutes. Yeah. So we get to experience the Monterey Jazz Festival. <laughs> It's like I never have. So that's good. It's about twenty minutes short. Uh, what do you guys say we go to the Monterey <laughs> Jazz Festival? Why not? Why not? Uh, on television, Jessica Walter was most recently known for her role as Lucille Bluth on the sitcom Arrested Development, yeah, and providing the voice of Mallory Archer on the FX animated series Archer. Uh, unfortunately, she passed away in her sleep in twenty twenty one. Oh man, we lost so many people. Yeah, so many people from this movie this year. Yeah, yeah. It's very or last sad. year, I guess. Uh, both. I mean, the last couple of years. It's been it's been very sad. Uh, Sam Moore as Billy Diamond. Moore was a vocalist for the soul and R.B. group Sam and Dave from 1961 to 1981. Hold on. I'm coming. Yeah, the Sam and Dave was so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, he is a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the Grammy Hall of Fame for Soul Man, and the Vocal Group Hall of Fame. He was in Soul Man with C. Thomas yeah, Howell? He, where he played the black guy trying to get into Harvard. One of the most offensive movies ever, man. Yeah, it was not. It was definitely a misstep. Yeah. Oh, my God. He couldn't get into Harvard as a white guy, so he pretends to be a black guy to use affirmative action to get into Harvard. Don't go see that movie. Well, I mean, Everything you need to know about that movie, you just said. Don Chong's in it. She's good. But good Lord, man. That was a big swing and a miss. Bad, 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 bad. Junior Walker is Lester Diamond, his brother. Junior Walker was a multi-instrumentalist, primarily saxophonist and vocalist, who recorded for Motown during the 1960s. Every one of your favorite Motown records he's on. Yeah. He yeah. is on playing horns. He was a long, long session musician. Uh, he performed as a session in live performing saxophonist with the band Foreigner during the 1980s. It must have been weird for I him. I can't imagine. <laughs> it was so strange. Okay, Foreigner, I'm going to go All to right. my hotel room while you guys do whatever you do. Yeah. I Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he passed from cancer at 64 in 1995. Way too young. After too cancer. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, that means that if he was 64 in 1995, he was only in his late 50s in tape heads. Yeah. He seemed much older than that. <laughs> he li- it's, it's not the years, it's the mileage. Right. Uh, Susan Tyrell is Nikki Morton. She was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for her performance as Oma in John Huston's Fat City in 1972. Oh, yeah. Uh, Fat City. I still have never seen Fat City. It's good. Yeah, I figured. It's John Huston. It's got to be good. Uh, in 1978, Terrell received the Saturn Award for Best Supporting Actress for her performance in, in Andy Warhol's Bad. She was a perfect fit for Warhol. She was a very strange character. Uh, she also played a role and sang a song in the 1980 weirdo cult movie Forbidden Zone. Forbidden Zone! Yeah, a very weird movie. Uh, Tyrell suffered from essential thrombocytis. Uh, a disease of the blood. In early 2000, her disease necessitated bilateral below-knee amputations. Oh my God. Uh, that year, Johnny Depp hosted a benefit of the Viper Room to help defray Terrell's medical bills. Megan Mullally, Jack Black, and Chloe Webb attended. Chloe Webb, who was in Sid and Nancy. Yeah, yeah there you as go. Nancy. There you go. Uh, in January 2012, Terrell wrote in her journal, I demand my death be joyful and I never return again. She died on June sixteenth, two thousand twelve. Damn. Yeah, I just I the whole below the knee amputation thing. That's just awful. Yeah, 
Yeah, I, look, yes. There's no, yes. A poor person. And what a great talent, too. She was so talented. Her New York Times obituary described her as... A whiskey-voiced character actress with talent for playing the downtrodden ultra and grotesque. I don't know her work terribly well, and to be honest, I, after seeing her in Tapeheads, I am going to find some other things she's in. She's done some pretty... She's, she's an interesting-looking woman. Yeah. She has a very... She's attractive in a very sinewy way. I don't know yeah, how to explain yeah. it, but she works well for the bizarre. Yeah, yeah. And she's able to get her face yeah, she's, in a way a, that is just really... Very interesting Yeah, face. like yeah. grotesque. Yeah. But she's also... I mean, she was so good in this. My favorite line of hers in this movie is it was she bumps in. She plays the mistress, mistress of mm-hmm. Blue Gulagar. She has a tape of him... Uh, being naughty. Yeah, like pretending he's <laughs> Cinderella or something while he yeah, gets spanked. Yeah. And she runs into one of the tape heads and gives and slips the tape into his bag. And she's like, I got to run. My boyfriend's going to kill me. And he's literally going to kill her. Yeah, it wasn't, the, way it wasn't, the way she delivered it was like, no, it's not a big deal. But yeah. yeah. Oh, God. She's so great. She's great. She's great in this. Uh, Lee Ehrenberg is Norton. Ehrenberg attended Santa Monica High School with future Brat Packer actors Sean Penn, Robert Downey Jr., and Emilio Estevez, and co-wrote a play with Estevez, which was directed by Sean Penn while they're at Santa Monica High School. Uh, Ehrenberg, Ehrenberg also guest starred on Star Trek The Next Generation, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Star Trek Voyager, and Star Trek Enterprise, playing Aliens. four different characters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Annenberg also played the recurring role of bookie Mike Moffat in two episodes of Seinfeld. Yeah, the guy was a little, little spark plug. He was a little guy. It's funny because I didn't realize because I saw him on Seinfeld. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, but when he was next to John Cusack and Tim Robbins, he looked like a midget. Yeah, he's a well, little person. <laughs> sorry, <but> he, uh, <laughs> sorry. He, he, yeah, but he just always looks like he's about to explode. Yeah, especially he, on Seinfeld, yeah. oh, he just God. had that whole Seinfeld. "You broke my thumbs." Oh my God! Yeah, so yeah, he was in the the Susie where his thumbs were broken while trying to repair Jerry's car trunk. And then he had that parking dispute with uh, George Costanza. Yeah, he was great, man. He's fantastic. I mean, he's a great actor. Uh, he had a long recurring role in, on ABC's Once Upon a Time, and most recently can be seen in American Gods. He's one of those guys that knows who he is and knows yeah. what he can do and does it well, and has had a career because of it. If you're a character actor that knows where you fit, you're yeah. never going to stop working, and he's one of those yeah. guys. Yeah, totally. Don Cornelius is Mo Fuzz, the <laughs> executive. Yeah, uh, Cornelius is best known as the creator, producer, and host of the TV music program Soul Train. As a small child, that's when I knew cartoons were over. Right. Soul Train came right. on, and it was time to go outside. As I got older, I liked to watch Soul Train because of the dancing and the music and such. Yeah, but yeah. as a little kid, uh, Mo Fuzz <laughs> delivers the most <laughs> consequential bit of advice or the bit of truth. Truth, about the truth. entertainment business yeah. in any capacity. He introduces us to the concept of spec. I'm going to need you to do this for me. Which, if On you've spec. ever done anything in the entertainment world, you'll know that spec is a real thing. Ah, oh, do this one for free. Do this one for free. We've got to see get, how you're going to do, and then we'll get pay paid you. on the next oh, one. Oh, we got a ton of other projects coming up we're going to pay you for, but you've got to do this one for free. And then all of us morons are like, okay, we'll do it for free. And then you do. No other business gets so much for free. No, baby. Spec. Spec. Oh, spec. Oh, Don Cornelius. Mofa's bringing in the spec. I'm going to need you to do this one on spec, too. This is part of your trilogy. (laughs) (laughs) So at around 4 a.m. on February 1st, 2012, police were called to Cornelius' home in Los Angeles after reports of a shooting. He was found with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head and was taken to Senior Sinai Medical Center, where he was pronounced dead at the age of 75. That poor guy was hurt and hurt and bad. An autopsy found that Cornelius had been suffering from seizures during the last 15 years of his life, a complication of a 21-hour brain operation he underwent in 1982 to correct a congenital deformity in his cerebral arteries. He admitted that he was never quite the same after that surgery, and it was a factor in his decision to retire from hosting Soul Train in 1983. Cornelius' health took a further sharp decline in the last six months of his life. On the night of his suicide, Cornelius told his son in a phone call, I don't know how much longer I can take this. Just sad. Super sad. sad. There's a lot of sadness of the, of the cast yeah. in this movie. I know, I know, I know. I Just sad. I 
He, he was, was a pioneer. So good in this movie. He was so good in this movie. And a guy that launched so many music careers. Yeah, he was huge. I mean, Soul yeah. Train was huge. And Soul Train was one of the first, you know, black hosted mm-hmm. black programs that I mean, you know he centered on. He produced it. He created it. Yeah. Like it was. Yeah, it was. It was. He a, cast it. Yeah. You know the the. Soul Train dancers, man. Yeah, it was huge. Yeah, it was Soul huge. Soul Train. <laughs> it was great. Uh, King Cotton played uh, Roscoe from the Roscoe's commercials. <laughs> oh, oh man, I love him so much. He was uh, King Cotton is a Texas blues singer born in 1945 in Navasota, Texas, in the United States. He was the lead vocalist and founding member of the blues rock band Navasota in 1969. Uh, his uh, Roscoe's rap has gained internet cult status in the last Roscoe's decade. Roscoe's name. He's just committed so well. He was so good. He's so, so good in that. And he's he, so 100% committed. Well, he they give him they give him an entire music video. Yeah. Start to finish. Yeah, yeah. A good three, three and four and a half minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah, three and a half minute music video. Which is just astounding and amazing. <laughs> and then they bring him back. And he raps the entire credits. To rap about the credits. About the credits. <laughs> while, while the movie's ending. <laughs> so, ri- so great. So ridiculously awesome. Oh, man. Uh, and what an, a, a great advertisement for Rocco's, Roscoe's oh, Chicken yeah. and Waffles. Yeah. Which yeah. is in Los Angeles and quite yeah. delicious. They, I, very good. I've not been there in a long time. It's been a while for me as well. It's very tasty. But it's always a pleasure. <laughs> Lyle Alzado was cast as Thor Alexiev, uh, John Cusack's father in the movie. He was a former pro football star that became a celebrity. Uh, his biggest role came in Ernest Goes to Camp. He's one of those guys that would just show up on stuff. Great personality. Yeah, he uh, was on late night shows, yeah. and then he would just show up as himself on different shows. And Funny, personable, yeah, interesting cat. He had a career of just being himself. Uh, and let's go down the horrible <laughs> road. What happened to him, Adam? Eventually admitted to steroid use after trying to make a comeback in the NFL at the age of 42 in 1991. He died one year later at 43 from brain cancer. Good God. Uh, some people associate the brain cancer as being a byproduct of the steroid use, but the connection was debunked about 20 years later uh, through further scientific studies. Yeah, look, the steroids doesn't cause cancer. There's a lot of other complications yes. that it causes yes. to your body. But, but he was 43. It was just a coincidence That's that just he had that. Crazy. Xander Berkeley as Ricky Fell. Xander Berkeley had a part in Sid and Nancy. He's another one of those character actors. You see him and you're like, oh, that guy. Oh, see, he's uh, been on everything. He's been on the walk. He's, he, Xander yeah. Berkeley is one of the best character actors yeah. ever. Yeah. There is a great documentary called uh, I. Uh, I know who this is, or so, like who's that guy? Yeah, or something, something like that. that's yeah. about character actors. He's one of the main focus. Uh, he's one oh, of yeah. the, the actors that's the main focus of that. And he also did this web series where he played the devil that was just just took off oh, a yeah. few years ago, and it showed just how amazing of an actor. Oh, really? This guy Interesting. Is. Okay. I've always loved him. I've always thought he was extremely underrated. Yeah. And it's just really great to see him still. It's a testament still, to how yeah. great he is. The yeah. guy's been working for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And he's going to keep working until he dies because he's got that talent. He, yeah, he's just so good. And he's not English. No. It's a fake accent, Adam. <laughs> uh, because of Nesmith's connection to the music industry, a ton of musicians vied to get parts in the movie. They, can, they have a series of cameos like Weird Al, who's just walking out of a building. <laughs> it's the greatest cameo ever. <laughs> Because he's like, Weird Al! Weird Al! <laughs> he literally runs away from him. You know, he, he walks in the building, and he's like, Weird Al! And then he slams the door That's into right. Cusack, right. knocks him over, and then huffs away mm. without a word. I love Weird Al so much. <laughs> Weird Al is the nicest man in Hollywood. That's why I love that he always and plays it's an angel. So, so funny that every time he plays himself, he's some angry dude. I'm so excited for the... Weird. Yes. I I don't know if I'll ever be able to see it because it's on no. something called Roku. It's the Roku channel. It'll be free. Okay. You'll be able to see it. Yeah, with commercials. It's going to be commercials. It may or may not have commercials. Better not. That was the worst thing. Okay, I'm just going to say this. If you guys are looking for tape heads, <laughs> it's a little difficult to find. We found it on Epic. Uh, no, on, Plex. On Plex. Which is a free service, yeah. You know, like I think it's also on Vudu, but or something. Yeah. But the problem with Plex is it starts <laughs> off okay with the commercials. You know, about thirty seconds here and there. I don't know who decides where the man, cuts are because man. they are not <laughs> some it, of the worst it's cuts like ever. It's like oh my god, and then some commercial. Other, yeah, and then hey Viagra, and then uh, 
But then, when they know they got you, when they get you to like the last half hour of the movie, oh then they start burning out these like four minute commercial breaks it, like every, every ten minutes, every five minutes. Yeah, it's like they're, they're like you're not going anywhere. I was, like, I was like, this commercial break is three minutes long. It has to be done. Yeah, like there has to be no more. No, no. no. The one after was three no. and a half minutes long. Tapeheads is about an eighty to ninety minute movie. If you're gonna watch it yeah. on uh, Plex, it's about three and a half hours. <laughs> Uh, Xander Schloss was the heavy metal fan guy. He had the fake hair, if you remember him. Oh, he's hilarious. Yeah, he was funny. He's uh, He was the bass player from the Circle Jerks. I saw them in concert. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Uh, I used to see a lot of punk. Oh, re- yeah, 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 yeah. Back in the day. Uh, he played with the Weirdos. He had many collaborations with Joe Strummer. Uh, and he d- appeared in a bunch of movies and con- uh, contributed a bunch of feature films. Uh, his first appearance was as Kevin the Nerd in Repo Man. So great, so yeah. great. Uh, Martha C. Quinn was an RVTV VJ. She was one of the very first VJs on MTV. Yeah. Uh, Ted Nugent is the rock star who throws uh, John Cusack out. He's tall and skinny and now a super weirdo. Yeah, he's very right wing. He likes hunting with bows and he hates lips. He's very right wing and he tells you all the time. Yeah, he's exhausting. Ugh. Uh, Jello Biafra is the FBI, FBI man number one. Which one is he? He was the dude. He the he's a really glasses? yeah yeah that guy is amazing. He is a, such a good actor. Yeah, and he's a very handsome dude. Yeah, and uh, he's so he was so he makes a joke to the bartender about needing to find the lead singer from the Dead Kennedys, and it's literally him. Yeah, oh, uh, it's so great, <laughs> and funny. he's got he's such a goon. He's got such a great goony <laughs> dance. <laughs> he does, and he he comes out and he sings that song in the middle of yeah. at the end of the Menudo concert. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> he's just. Just a couple bars and they yeah, grab and pull them out. It. It's so the, those funny. two guys are, are the uh, the Secret Service guys. Yeah, are the hitmen. Like, yeah, the hitmen <laughs> are some of my. He is just so good. He's like a Jim Carrey before Jim Carrey. He's yeah. got that physicality that is just so fun and goony. Somebody else that just fully committed and said, oh, "All yeah. right, we're, I know what this movie's about. Yeah. We're doing it." Also. I've seen the Dead Kennedys, man. It is crazy that he's oh. playing an FBI agent. Yeah. It's just yeah. like <laughs> it's like okay, yeah. He was so good. Jello Biafra is fascinating. And, uh, uh, let's just acknowledge Jello Biafra is one of the greatest names ever, <laughs> ever. It is. It is. Uh, Cor- I'm going to say probably made up. I'm going to say probably not. His it's Christian not his name. real name. No. no, no. When we do our Jello Biafra episode, we'll talk about it. Yeah, we're gonna. Uh huh. Uh, Courtney Love has an uncredited cameo as Norman Spanker. She the- was like. 15. She was young in this. She was really yeah. young. There's only one shot where you can actually see her face. Uh, Stiv Bators as Dick Slammer, <laughs> the guitarist from the band that gets killed. Uh, he is best remembered for his band's Dead Boys and the Lords of the New Church. Oh, yeah. In 1990, he was hit by a car in Paris and didn't see a doctor for a protracted time because he thought he was fine. Okay, here we go. And What's going to happen, Adam? That night, he died from a traumatic brain injury in his sleep. Okay, why don't we just call this the horrific death show? Everybody had a horrific I don't, death. Look, I Jesus. don't mean to include these, but they're fascinating. It doesn't make... I mean, we have leg amputations and brain aneurysms and brain... A lot ca- of I cancer. Mean, I lot oh, of cancer. God. I'm starting to think they filmed this movie where they filmed Genghis Khan. Uh, I mean, it's very... Maybe they opened up a Egyptian tomb or something when they, should, they got cursed. Maybe they it made E.G. Daly mad. <laughs> Uh, Bobcat Goldthwaite at the time Bob Goldthwaite and he was credited as Jack Cheese but he plays Don Drusel the self-help guy that appears a couple times he was also we'll, we'll be talking about him because he was also in One Crazy Summer yeah we'll talk about him more that's uh, why I, did. I don't have much about him he and Cusack were friends saw him in concert he closed out his show by doing the absolute best Bono impersonation wow. I have ever heard wow. in my entire life he sang with or without you, and it was like Bono was there, and wow. it's like, really, Bobcat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then years later, I was at the Cine Vegas Film Festival, and I had a couple of movies in that, and I was in the uh, director's lounge, and he was there too with some films. Mm-hmm. Shook his hand, talked to him for a while. The softest hands I have ever touched, just like wow. so well manicured. It's wow. just soft, beautiful hand. Such a great guy, too. Super nice. And <laughs> sure he is. Oh but all God. you can think about is his soft well, hands. It, it, it was, it was, it, it left an impression on me how yeah. soft his That's hands crazy. were. It was very, it was, I just wanted to hold on to his soft, beautiful hands forever. But again, such a great guy. Oh, no, and, totally. And not pretentious the, at all. Talked to us about funny. his movies, our movies. Oh, yeah. You know, was a really, really good dude. 
Yeah, he's. It's interesting because a lot of people only see the Bobcat character and not and not him. Yeah, yeah. he's not like movies. that. Yeah, yeah. But it must have been hard for him playing that character for so long. Yeah, I can't. And it's exhausting. That. Yeah, I. You know, it was one like of the greatest blood vessel. Funniest things I've ever heard was uh, Bobcat Goldthwait did a Christmas story for Kevin and Bean. Yes, the Christmas album. Yes, if you have a chance to find it. It's only like three minutes long, yeah. but it's him reading a story to kids, and it is one of the funniest things I've ever heard in my life. Bobcat Goldthwait and Robin Williams appeared on the same bill together, but not as a comedy team, using the names Jack Cheese and Marty Fromage. Uh, Goldthwait used the name Jack Cheese when he appeared in Tapeheads. When Williams made a cameo as Mime Jerry in Goldthwait's Shakes the Clown, he was billed as Marty Fromage. Oh, Shakes the Clown. <laughs> and, and Bobcat Goldthwait is such a great director. Oh, yeah. yeah. Father of the year. Ugh. My God, one of my favorite Robin yeah. Williams performances oh, ever. Yes, yeah, they were very close. Uh, and Goldthwait and Williams were very close. Such an effed up filmmaker. Yeah, but in such a great way. Like, there's a lot of effed up yeah. filmmakers that are just effed up for being effed up, right. and it's really not that entertaining. He hits that sweet spot of <laughs> effed up and entertaining like nobody else. Yeah, like he's a twisted comedy David Lynch or something. I just love he's him. He's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, David Anthony Higgins and Steve Higgins as visual aplomb. Oh, the Higgins boys and Gruber. The Higgins boys and Grubers. Uh, Higgins, along with his brother Steve and Dave Gruber Allen, performed in a comedy troupe, Don't Quit Your Day Job. Eventually, they toured in other states, including California, and were so well-received that they offered they were offered their own show, The Higgins Boys and Gruber, on HBO's The Comedy Channel in 1989. I saw them live. They were oh, yeah. really funny. Oh, yeah, they were extremely funny. Um, one of the Higgins boys ended up having a... Recurring role on Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah, yeah. Playing like a teacher or something. It was, was, it was with Malcolm's David. mom. Yeah, yeah. It's hilarious, hilarious. The te- on that as show. a teacher, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he ended up like being a babysitter. But he yeah, had this. Yeah, he was around. A he lot. was obsessed with Malcolm's mother and loved her. And it was like so. <laughs> it was just so great. He is such a good creep. Yeah, the Higgins boys are from Des Moines, where I went, where I grew up. Yeah. They went to Band of the Creeps. They went to a high school the friends of mine went to, and they went to the University of Iowa, where I went, until they dropped out to pursue a career in the entertainment industry. Good choice. Um, yeah, even more cameo appearances. Michael Nesmith is the water guy. Uh, the he's he's the he's only in the one scene. Uh, it's great. It's, it's a great scene with Cusack just kind of making fun of him, and because Cusack's like, "Hey, you got to do the back of the Hey, take my card." Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't realize that he's just the water delivery right, guy. Right. Wah, wah. Uh, Peter McCarthy, the writer, is the fervent Menudo fan, which gave me the biggest laugh in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that he wanted Menudo to play so bad. No! <laughs> Uh, Koti Mundi as a music executive. Uh, he was a musician. Percu- he is a musician percussionist, notably playing the vibraphone and a member of Dr. Buzzard's original Savannah band, then of Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Love Kid Creole. So he didn't have a horrific death? Uh, no, he's still alive. Okay. Uh, I I think he's still alive. Uh, don't don't call me on like, that. have bees fly into his eyes? Eat his eyeballs no, out. No, no. Chew his brain. He was. He was. He in the movie. He was one of the guys that they were trying to hire. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. But no, no bees ate his brains. <laughs> I'm just saying. It's been, it's been a rough day so far. Uh, Dougie Fresh as a record executive. He was a pioneer in beatboxing. <laughs> I was waiting for your beatboxing. <laughs> Yeah, I can do it. Yeah. Uh, in the early 1980s, he formed the Get Fresh crew with DJs Chill Will and Barry B, and later oh, yeah. added rapper Slick Rick. Oh, I love Slick Rick. Uh, two of their songs, The Show and Lottie Dottie, are considered early hip-hop classics. Lottie Dottie, baby. Lottie Dottie, in particular, is one of the most sampled songs in music history. Yeah, it slaps, baby. It's <laughs> nice. It's so good. And I will say, Dougie Fresh is only 56. Wow, he and was he young. Is still kicking. Oh yeah, he's awesome. But he was really young in that movie then. Yeah, he was very young in the he movie. He was probably twenty one yeah, or so. Twenty or twenty one, yeah. yeah. Uh Devo played the pop group Cube Squared that sings the Swedish hit Baby Doll. Baby Doll. Which is one of my favorite sequences in the whole movie. They just had no idea of what was happening. It was hilarious. And it's just their reactions as he's dumping paint and all sorts of stuff and then lights the Everything on fire. I mean, it's just, it's uh, chaos. It's like, and, and Cusack is just so aware that this is all going to happen. Yeah. Just casually grabs a fire hose and sprays him down. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, Mofas doesn't like the video. Yeah. <laughs> well, they he use, loves it. He uses he the video. Use yeah, yeah. 
Well, yeah. Because <laughs> it doesn't have production value, which is TNA. Right. Uh, Fishbone played the band Ranchbone. Uh, Cusack and Robbins are huge Fishbone fans. Oh, I love Fishbone. Ranchbone, the song they played was really good in the movie. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the weird country western version of their funk. It's like, it's, it was great. And Fishbone, uh, or Fish, I forget his first name. The, the guy yeah, who it. yeah. He's got that awesome blue mohawk. Yeah, yeah. They just—they're so, they so good. Uh, they Party did, at Ground Zero. They did all the incidental music as well. So yeah. everything that wasn't a song, they—they they did. I highly recommend Fishbone's uh, debut album if you want to just have a blast. Put it on at your next party. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah so yeah. it's got—it's kind of ska. It's just kind of punk. So much fun. They're just such a unique, unique band, and they just had a blast. And yep. seeing them in concert was one of the most fun shows I've ever seen. Oh, I, I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Yeah. That'd be great. Uh, well, that's all I got. That's all I got for tape heads. Well, that's good. Um, no more horrible deaths. Uh, not that I know of. Okay. I mean, I I'm mean, sure there are in this cursed film. I didn't include all of them. <laughs> so <laughs> so many. You just picked the top five. I picked the weird ones. Look, I, this, It's just by chance. There were so many weird ones. Any movie that's going to be over 30 years, you're going to have some deaths. Yeah. You're going to have some deaths. And in particular, this movie, there were just so many people in this yeah. movie. And so many quirky, odd, and wonderful people. If you want to see John Cusack, I'm going to say unlike you've seen him before. He's yeah. he's a little less likable. He's got an incredibly awesome porn pedophile <laughs> mustache and slick back hair. Tim Robbins is extremely likable. As oh, the yeah. spoiled little artist. And it's fun to watch, like, especially if you're an arty type. Yeah. It's fun to watch these guys. Like, when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, man, I get it. You don't <laughs> want to do nothing for nobody. You just want to do your own art. Yeah. Then you get older and you're like, you know, you got to make money somehow yeah. to get your art going. And sometimes you got to do one for them. But uh, Sometimes, yeah. But it is such a unique movie. It has so many great musical cameos. It's, it's got, yeah. If you want to see something with a lot of fun music from the 80s. And it, it totally holds up. I, I literally just saw it for the first yeah. time. It's, you know, 25, 30 years old, however. But it holds up completely. A lot, all of the things, even though the technology is different than what we sure, use today. Sure. We don't use tapes. Uh, all of the conceit is the same. Yeah, the business yeah. hasn't changed at all. It's a bunch of predators <laughs> going after you. And politics hasn't changed. A bunch of perverts trying to pretend like they're not. They're not. <laughs> So it's like it's got all the universal themes <laughs> yep. that we know. But it's a great, great John Cusack, Tim Robbins buddy. It's so much comedy. fun. It's just so much fun. Yeah. And and in it, and I will say, uh, uh, Fishman did not – he only directed two other movies after this. Oh, yeah. And, did, I mean, he did a lot of music videos and stuff still and in a lot more like live concert things. But he only did two other movies. And I will say, this movie is directed way better than I thought it would be. Sure. A lot of great directors come from the music video. Sure. David Fincher. David Fincher. You know, uh, one of the greatest Spike directors Jones. ever, Spike yeah. Jones. And the thing is, is in that, in that's t- at this time, in 1988, he was one of the first music video directors to make this foray right. into 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 film like this. But he was also a music video director that told stories through his right. videos. Right. And these story-driven music video directors become really great directors because sure, sure. you got to tell these tiny little stories. Yeah. So then you have more time to tell the stories. You know, you yeah, know what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. You know where the camera yeah. goes. You know what looks good. Yeah. It's There's a, some great – there are some fantastic shots in this movie. Oh, I, yeah. I loved the – in the arcade going into the breaking news, mm-hmm. and then it's on the breaking news for a bit, and it pulls back, and we're in the studio, and we're hanging out. Like, it was yeah. it was so clean and just nice. Like, it was, it, was, it was very good storytelling. And it's also great, the scene where you see our boys, they, they finally get their big break, and they have no idea what to do. Yeah. They don't know how to run a <laughs> yeah. crane. They're trying to figure this crap <laughs> so out by great. themselves. They still don't have a crew or anything. No. I mean, anybody who's ever made anything knows how difficult it is to do it on your own. Yeah. And and this is a really good representation of, you know, two scrappy guys trying to create a career and just basically failing upward. Yeah. Yeah. They totally, they totally, well, they took advantage of of the time they had. They failed upward. (laughs) But it was awesome. It's such a fun movie. I love the fact that the movie, it, it has a plot and it could be, it could end very badly for them, but it's got a happy ending. Sort of. I mean, yes. I mean, it's it starts yeah. off as a happy ending, but the the coda is great. I mean, it's like uh, yes, yes, where they end up 
for, for the reason why they end up where they end up is, is awesome. Oh, the because the ongoing so... visual gag of the parking tickets in the car is brilliant. Oh, yeah, and it pays off. Yeah. And it pays off. This One Crazy Summer and Better Off Dead fits so well together yeah. because they all have yeah. that, like, surrealism. They all have that little bit of magical yeah. uh, point of view that we yeah. see. And it, yeah. and it works. It, it doesn't take you out of the movie. It adds to the movie. And right. that's the beauty right. of these films is the craziness makes it better and more believable rather than less and taking right. you out of it. I love the, like the random moment where they just turn and talk to the audience. Yeah. It was just for like half a sentence, but they turned and did their line and then they moved on. It was and just the like, swanky right. modes. On the swanky modes. I mean, it's uh, such a good movie. Watch it. Don't try not to do it on Plex. Yeah. Cause you'll just get you can, frustrated. You can find it somewhere like at your library or you can rent or it buy somewhere. It. Look, these movies it. you can get on DVD and, and I say, get them on DVD. Mm-hmm. You don't need Blu-ray for these movies. It's no. better to watch them in their old kind of scratchy. Yeah. Uh, format. Right. Right. You know, if you can get them on tape, even better, yeah. but get them on DVD. You can probably pick it up for two bucks. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's worth your collection to have, these fun, quirky movies because they're perfect to bring out at parties. They're perfect to put on in the background. Yeah. And but the, but the only danger is people are going to be like, well, "What's this?" And they're going to stop. And they're going to want to watch it. Yeah. All right. We'll be back next week. Uh, we've got uh, Hot Pursuit. Yeah. Hot Pursuit. Hot Pursuit with another one I have never seen. Yeah. Well, this is a good month for you. You're, I, I'm excited. This yeah. is great. I love watching the new stuff. This one's a little bit more mainstream. It's not as quirky as the rest, but it's still got its quirks and okay. it's. Uh, Still pretty weird. Excited to do that hot pursuit. Yeah. Uh, he was responsible for the Dream Warriors video from Dawkins for Nightmare on Elm Street 5. Dream mm, Warriors. Say that again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nope, nope. Keeping it. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. Uh, oh, I don't even remember why we were talking <laughs> about Gary Oldman. He was in Sid and Nancy. Oh. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Fantasy Island, already in progress. 